Hello, welcome to The Small Screen, a weekly TV podcast. I'm Max Kennedy. Joining me on the other line is Denise Luca. Hi, everyone. So we're back. It's been a while, but the recent release of Game of Thrones and the prequel of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, has uh, dragged us back into the world of TV. It has. It's just too big not to talk about, really. So true. So I figured, Denise, today maybe we'd go through the new trailer that just dropped, the teaser for House of the Dragon. And then uh, basically after that, look at maybe a few contenders that are trying to take out that belt as the next show, the next big Game of Thrones. Let's do it. Can I just say before we get started, I just got this new mic or you got me this new (laughs) mic and I'm in love with it. It's my new favorite toy. I feel like an absolute celebrity. No worries. Well, hopefully uh, everyone else loves it too. That sounds (laughs) good. Should we talk about the um, House of the Dragon? Yeah, I reckon let's talk about the teaser. Yeah, that's awesome. HBO dropped it this week. Yeah, a few days ago, basically. And it's, uh, yeah, I don't know what you thought, Dee. It's probably the most Game of Thrones thing I've seen <laughs> since Game it's of Thrones. It's beautiful. I just got goosebumps with that, Max. I just thought it's like it's coming back. I got the same feels of when I used to watch the the trailers <laughs> the music, for um, everything. the next season of Game of Thrones. I can't wait to watch it. What did you think of it? So like, yeah, the black pixels on my TV were freaking out. It's, it's <laughs> as dark as the last season of Game of Thrones. There's yeah. blonde-headed people everywhere. But yeah. in terms of, yeah, everything in the trailer, it seems to mm. just be a lot of Targaryens and yes. surprisingly not a lot of dragons, which I... Not uh, not in this um, in this teaser, but I have read the book um, Fire and Blood and it's uh, there's a lot of dragons in this one and there's a lot of dragon fights and um, that are part of the civil war between the, let's call it siblings um, in this Targaryen dynasty. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be even more mega. If it's done right, which I have a good feeling it will, it might top... Um, Game of Thrones is going to be the next big thing. I'm calling it, Max. Do you know the plot, kind of where this from like start to end might go without spoiling it for anyone, I guess? Yeah, well, the book actually goes about 300 years before the our Game of Thrones story, what we all know with Daenerys and everyone else. Um, but uh, the producers he have chosen to start 200 years prior to that instead. So they've cut out a few parts of the dynasty and rushed to, I think, um, the Dance of the Dragons, basically, which is about that civil war that I mentioned earlier. It sounds like it's going to be the most, it was in the book, the most exciting part of um, the dynasty. So I can see why they've gone there. Um, It is about civil war. There's a lot of incest, um, a lot of politics, power, everything you expect from Game of Thrones. Um, It's just... There's so, so much emphasis on the Targaryens that um, it's dark So and there's a lot of death. And I think they chose that because that part of the or the chapter of um, Fire and Blood because it's so good. It's, yeah, there's something happening all the time. I did mention to, one, to some of my friends earlier this week, though, that I wish they had gone further to the 300 years where the Targaryen dynasty began because that was also very interesting and it felt kind of like, you know, you're going back to the, to the, base, the basics, to the, um, to the ancient times of the Targaryens and how it all started and how the incest started. <laughs> I don't want to spoil too much, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, because that's kind of, that's what I was thinking 
if we if we're sort of thrown smack bang in the middle mm. of this sort of Targaryen dynasty, which kind yeah. of seems like we are, we've got like Matt Smith in the trailer, basically saying that like dragons yes. want us this war or want us the throne. It kind of yeah, because Game of Thrones was so big because you had all those different families yeah. and all those houses vying for the throne. Whereas I feel like if you have if there's like 10 dragons, yeah. it's always going to be the Targaryen. There are other battles, don't get me wrong. There's it's a very dense book and there's it's a very dense history. There's a lot in it and there are actually battles that don't involve um dragons. There are other families as well in it, the Valerians and I think the High Towers. So there's still some other families that we may be familiar with from um our Game of Thrones uh, knowledge. Um, but it's definitely very focused on how the Targaryens got to be where they are, how they claimed the throne and how they tried to maintain it throughout this 300-year history until Daenerys. So, it's yeah, it focuses on the Targaryens, but you still have the other houses in there. They're just not as big as the Starks and everyone else that was so big in Game of Thrones. So it's exciting. It's it's fun because you just you just feel like you're honing in to that kind of like the Targaryen house and the culture and the way they think and um it's yeah you, you're gonna love it. Yeah, well I'm keen. That's that's good to know because I was sort of a little bit worried that mm. if you look at that last season of Game of Thrones, yeah. as soon as Daenerys gets there with the dragon, it's kind of <laughs> like all bets are off. The the Game of Thrones is yeah. over because the dragon just demolishes everyone. And then I'm like, well, this is a whole family that everyone has a dragon. I don't know how any house could possibly e- sort of compete with them. Like there might be another battle, but then you just send in the dragon and the battle's over. You do see in the book that a lot of the dragons are baby dragons. There's only a few, like a handful that are like ancient, like older dragons and more threatening oh, okay. and, you know, like real weapons. Okay. And, of course, I mean, I don't want to discuss the book too much. I don't want to um, spoil too many things <laughs> about the dragons in the book. Um, but things happen to the dragons too. So, um, you know, and Sounds they're not like invincible. classic Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly which um, keeps it exciting. Um, it's good to see, and I don't know how much of that they're going to cover in the series, the diff- like how many, um, there's about two or three generations that have a lot of children. So there's a lot of story arcs about what happens to a lot of the Targaryen children. And I hope that in other spin-offs, obviously maybe not this one, they do tackle those stories. And I keep on holding back because I don't want to say anything that will spoil it for anyone, <laughs> including yourself. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it does. It seems like a pretty dense cast. You got like Matt yes. Smith, as I mentioned. Yeah. It seems like he'll be like the. Ever since Doctor Who, he he like he was great in Doctor Who, and then ever since that, he's just been like the evil, kind of, conniving, yeah, side he, character. He plays that so well, and of course, yeah, he plays um, Prince. Uh, he's in the Crown, isn't he? And he plays. Um, yeah, Prince. I'm forgetting Philip. his name. Prince Philip. That's right. Prince Philip, but even he in plays that, that he's, well. a, he's a real jerk in that. <laughs> he's, he's actually a real jerk. Seems to be typecast. Yeah. But even in this um, in this role as uh, Prince Damon, he's actually, that that is, I think he's going to be one of the, the supervillains in this whole story. Um, yeah. Again, without spoiling too much, but you can kind of tell um, his famous lines about dreams don't make kings, you know, the dragons yeah. do. I mean, he's going he's gonna to weaponize. And he's uh, gonna be on the on the wrong side. I'm gonna stop here, Max. I'm not gonna continue. 
Well, that's, yeah, I'm kind of expecting sort of a lot of in infighting, like family drama. Yeah, definitely. As opposed to sort of houses v houses in this yeah. one. That's, I'm, yeah, expecting family versus family kind of thing. Yes, definitely. That's exactly what it, it is a civil war. And you will see like all the other houses kind of join join this war and I can't see I I can't wait to see how they actually translate all that into um onto the screen because um there's so many layers of it of and so many characters once again within this um this kind of civil war it's going to get yeah there's going to be a lot of like bitchiness a lot of snide remarks (laughs) a lot of um yeah a lot of little finger, the essence of little finger throughout most of this uh, this series, I think. Um, a lot of backstabbing, yeah. Which is, yeah, which I guess we'll get to in our next segment. But I think that's one of the key parts of Game of Thrones is that sort of that backstabbing, that mm. behind the scenes sort of tinkering mm. that all the, like the little side characters do that sort yeah. of sets Game of Thrones apart from other straight fantasy or sci-fi shows where it's sort of just a hero's journey or something you need a bit of that yes it kind of makes it it makes series like game of thrones more more realistic that way you have all these you know some heartfelt true conversations characters that you know you can see that could be characters that translate to now in this world you know it's not it's not so, so much fantasy you know with the way they talk in their dialogue and the way they engage yeah, so hopefully they'll continue that in um in Targa- in the Targaryen dynasty. So yeah, that's coming in 2022. So looking forward to that one. And we're coming straight to Boxtel and Binge in Australia. Dreams didn't make us kings. Dragons did. Speaking of Game of Thrones, now that House of the Dragons come out, I feel like ever since Game of Thrones, probably like season three, as soon as it got to that huge peak of television, every studio, streamer, network has been trying to snap up a piece of their own IP, established IP, from like books, comics, video games, in the hope of sort of get, getting that next water cooler TV show, the next Game of Thrones, essentially. And mm. now, obviously, after we've seen this trailer, I think House of the Dragon is just going to be the next Game of Thrones. But yes. we thought maybe we'd look at a few of the other upcoming recent series that are in the works or have recently come out that might be able to take that belt away from House of the Dragon. Um, so, yeah, we put together a top five. and Let's start with Foundation from Apple TV. When I was a child at the edge of the galaxy, I heard stories about a man who could forecast the future. But the story remained dark to me until many years later. Until it became my story. Until it became the only story. You're familiar with my work. Three, four episodes in? Yes. Fourth episode drops. Today, 
this one's, yeah, based on the Isaac Asimov uh, sci-fi epic for years considered apparently unfilmable. Mm. But it basically takes place 50,000 years in the future in a galaxy ruled by the Galactic Empire. Yeah. And from the first three episodes, I'm not sort of accustomed with the book, but we're looking at the Galactic Empire versus a mathematician, mm. philosopher, uh, called Dr. Harris, Harry Seldon and his predictions of the future and then his followers off the back of that. And I liked what you said earlier about this being um, an unfilmable kind of project because it's so mega and epic in scale. And I actually watched the first episode last night, Max, and I have to agree, I don't know how they did this. It's just, it feels so epic and mega in terms of the world that Asimov has created. Um, it's like a whole galaxy run by this empire um, that is about to be toppled by what the foundation, basically those mathematicians. Yeah. So I think that's, that's basically the, if you're going to compare this to Game of Thrones and how this could be the next Game of Thrones, I think that's the first thing that really sticks out to you is just the scale of it. Yeah. You've got that Apple money behind you. And it just, yeah, it looks incredible. It looks like a big budget. Definitely. Um, sci-fi movie that you could just watch at the cinema or something. Yeah, it's massive. And you can tell, like, it just looks glossy. It looks beautiful. It's definitely something that you can escape into. What I'm worried about with this one, Max, is that it's so, um, everything is so intricate. Like from, like the use, like the world's intricate, the language is so um, specific, obviously, too, because the whole world seems to be run by maths. Uh, yeah. not my favorite subject and like everything is, uh, you know, it's just like scientific and I think it's just a difficult watch for, for someone like me that you have to really immerse myself in it, maybe watch it twice to understand what's going on in terms of uh, dialogue and everything else. Um, the concepts I think are difficult in this one. It's, um, it's, it's almost too smart of like of a drama because it's obviously it's Asimov, but it looks beautiful. I understand where it's trying to go. I do appreciate and love the fact that there's, um, and I don't know if this is an original character, the girl that's a mathematician and a genius. And I found that pretty awesome. And, you know, like I was really um, backing, backing the girl and I'm really behind her. But I don't know. I'm going to try another episode and I'm going to see if I can really get into this world, if I can really embrace yeah. it and follow it. You've watched three episodes. What that's do you think? The, that's the thing. It's like it looks beautiful. Yeah. And I'll say, yeah, the I for such a sweeping sci-fi epic, and maybe this will change in uh, the rest of the season. But you sort of the thing about Game of Thrones is you like you had all these different locations, mm. and even King's Landing, you had people in the actual castle, and yep. then you'd often see the underbelly and the brothels, and you got out into actual King's Landing. Yeah. Whereas this just seems to be we're sort of stuck in the, I don't even know if you'd call it a castle, but the tower where the mm. empire resides, which is in uh, Terminus, I think is the planet. Terminus. I could be getting that. No, Trenton totally or something, wrong. isn't it? Terminus is where the mathematicians oh, yeah, the Empire's home, get yeah, the Empire yeah. home of Trantor, mm. which you see this beautiful like cathedral castle where they reside, but you never get down into the people like the interesting thing would be to look at this huge planet yeah. run by the galactic empire and sort of see what's happening down there on the streets yeah 
Whereas it's a good point. three episodes, we're kind of just hanging out in like a cool, a couple of cool rooms. Like it looks great, but I don't really care about that, seeing the same room over and over again. And then on the flip side, yeah, Dr. Harry, get, uh, he's, him and his followers get banished to another planet. On yes. The, actually, it's where it starts in Ep 1, uh, Terminus, which is sort yeah. of that barren wasteland, which again is beautiful to look at. Such a, mm. It's a stunning location. But after three episodes, we're just stuck in these two worlds. And it, mm. they're not, there's nothing to really explore in either of them. We're just sort of stuck looking at the same thing over and over again. Is that what you found watching episodes two and three, that it didn't kind of escape that? Yeah, I just, I, and obviously it's only three episodes, but mm. I'd like them to explore more, like introduce us to these new worlds, but actually go deeper into them. Sort yeah. of like where Gale is from. Mm. I think that from episode one, like that water planet was really interesting. Yes, I, I that's agree. Probably the most we didn't get much of planet. that world, did we? We just got yeah. her basically leaving that world because mm. obviously she's some kind of um, she's not allowed to be a genius in that <laughs> in her world. Yeah, and she gets she leaves and because she wins that competition. Is that right with a mathematician? She's yeah. cracked some code, so she's pretty awesome. But you don't mm. get much of where she's from and what the story of that world is. They don't flesh things out enough I think or they haven't yet so I don't know that's in a way it the show kind of seems thinks it's smarter than it is in a way I know it's super it's meant to be super complex math and yeah and all of that that we couldn't possibly understand but in the end it's really just saying that the empire is going to fall Mm. and there's going to be 30,000 years of darkness or whatever which is in like pretty straightforward pretty uh Mm. Yeah, storytelling 101 kind of thing. But the big thing is sort of we know the stakes, but we don't know any of the motivations of the characters really. Yes, what and you're, pro- what and you're talking doing. more about the mathematician. Um, mm. who's, who does it? Who's played? Um, it's Jared Harris that plays the mathematician, isn't it? Yes. And yeah. you're, you're wondering about his motivations more than anyone? I kind of, I, in a way, I know. He, I feel like his motivations are sort of just uh prolong the oh actually I think it's just to prove that his um predictions are correct yeah and then on the other hand the empire's motivation is just to stay in power for Mm. as long as possible with all the cloning which I think is interesting the yeah brother dawn brother dusk sort of yeah cloning the same emperor over and over again and three different variations they're all interesting themes it's just we don't have point of view characters or any tension to mm. sort of progress yet, through maybe. the story. Not yet, because no, I feel that um, the girl whose name, what would uh, Gail, might be Gail. that for us. It's just she hasn't started yet because she she seems like she's like a, a fish out of water, so she's like us trying to <laughs> probably discover what's going on here and, you know, hopefully beyond episode one she she does. I was going to say about that, Max, um, the fact that... Um, the mathematician can predict that these 30,000 years worth of like the dark ages is coming just with all these like, you know, formulas and predictions and what does he call it? Psychotherapy or psycho. Psycho history. Psycho history. That's what he calls Mm. it, which is an interesting concept. Don't get me wrong. But it's um, like 
that he can see that far out and he can predict that far ahead in the future. And the fact that if, if they do something to fix whatever the, the fix is, they can reduce it to a, like a thousand years or whatever he, he says in the um, in episode one. And I didn't quite understand what the problem would be, what would actually bring them to those dark ages. Did, is that ever specified in episode one? He never really says it, what's going to cause. Is it it's war? It's sort of is coming. It... Yeah. So I think it's it's slowly starting to unravel in a right. way that, speak, like when I say there's no intrigue, the only sort of intriguing part or thing that stands out is that vault, the mm. floating structure yes. on um, Terminus, which they sort of allude to in Ep 3 that that might be the cause of everything that's set to unfold. Wow. Which is intriguing, but it's sort of not, I don't know. It hasn't hooked me. Can, Max, can I just say that I completely misread that part, the Terminus part? I thought Terminus and that black structure that just, just hovers over that region is basically mm. where the mathematicians live. <laughs> I thought that well, was their exile. <laughs> no, it, it is, but oh, right. the the thing is already there, the, the vault. I think is what they call it. It's already right. there. So they don't really know. And I'm sure the mathematician knew it was there or predicted that it would be there. So I'm sure it all ties together. Cool. Okay. Now you're making me want to watch episode two <laughs> a lot. So I think, oh, yeah, good. I'll be watching the next two it's episodes just, at least. It's to a little see. too, it's too big or something. There's something slightly off about it. I think the best part about Game of Thrones was all like the weekly theorizing. Like you were like, who's... Mm. Jon Snow's dad or who's who's going to kill the king or whatever like is Arya going to kill mm. blah 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 exactly whereas this I don't there's nothing to really theorize about I guess it's what's in the vault but yeah. I'm not attached to the vault because it's not a character it's mm. a good point apart from that I like I know that the empire is going to keep cloning themselves mm. um, Harry's predictions are probably going to turn out to be true yeah. So I'm sort of like, what am I? Who am I invested in? What am I invested in? Why does the empire keep cloning himself? Why can't he just have children and and pass, <laughs> you know, the <laughs> reign to the next generation? Yes. Power. People mm. love power. They do. Um, they kind of get into that in well, it's like a throwaway line in F two. Yeah, F three, I think. Right. They mention sort of. Yeah, we could. You, you could marry. Right, and but he probably refuses. He's like, yeah, he's too old or something. Right. Some throwaway line. I do like Lee Pace in this um in this series. Oh, yeah. uh, he's awesome. Pace. I remember him from um apparently he was in Lord of the Rings, but I can't remember. It's been so long since I've watched the original <laughs> the series, probably twenty years. Um uh, was he an elf? I think he was like Yeah. He seems like an elf. Yeah, yes, most likely an elf. And um, I had seen him more recently in Halt and Catch Fire, which I thought he was brilliant in that one. Yeah. In season one, I was hooked. Um, and I'm glad to see him in this level, like in mm. in an epic saga. It's pretty cool. And I can I kind of like him, and I want to find out more about him. But yeah, just yeah. I think we just have to keep watching with that one. Whether it's a Game of Thrones contender. Only time will tell. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And it it's been renewed, been renewed, so it could build. Should we move on from Foundation? Yeah, so this one, I figured for number four, we'd put in something from like the video game world. Yeah. Which obviously making huge money at the moment. There's a lot of money in video games. There's yet to be a sort of defining movie as a video game movie curse, as they put it. 
that nothing's really broken through financially or critically. Uh, this one, there was two that I was sort of toying with. There's uh, the upcoming HBO adaptation of The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of that pandemic-y kind of virus wipes out a lot of people, zombies, which I think from some of the recent series we've had, like Why the Last Man, they haven't really resonated with people for whatever yeah. reason, probably because of the big C mm. coronavirus that we're all living through. Yeah, that's had an impact. So I figured I'd pivot and go with Halo. Here is stronger than I anticipated. They seem to have the entire region secured. The ring has some kind of deep religious significance. They call it Halo. An upcoming Paramount Plus uh, series that's been in the works for seems like 10 years, probably more. Uh, yeah, executive produced by Steven Spielberg. Cool. Uh, in terms of plot, I think it's pretty broad with this one, which is sort of why I think it might be successful, but basically one of the biggest, if not the biggest, first-person shooter multiplayer online games that's biggest for Xbox. In the games yeah. you're following, playing as Master Chief, who's basically like a super soldier that works for the United Space Command, who are the humans, and then battling against like an alien covenant that are forming an uprising against humanity in a way. Can I just... um. Yeah, tell you, Max, and the listeners that I've never played Halo before. (laughs) I don't think I've even played a single Xbox game, which is super embarrassing. But I'm just, you know, I'm not a gamer. I'm just an old lady. So um, I don't know if embarrassing is the right word. (laughs) It's embarrassing. Probably uh, had much better things to do. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that with Steven Spielberg behind this, and the premise is pretty cool as well. Like, you know, it's an alien invasion thing, right? That You can't go wrong with that if you – is that right? Am I on the right track? No, I'm off the track. Is it an No, alien? yeah, kind of. It's almost like the other way around, like humanity is sort of banded together and is invading other alien planets. Oh, wow. Well, that's even better. So, so in this, yeah, in terms of it's sort of like a metaphor for colonialism and yes. all that good stuff. Yep. And uh, the aliens sort of banding together to attack – yeah, to push back against the humanity, United Nations. So you could, depending on how they do it, it could be quite nuanced, but mm. yeah, only time will tell. Yeah, and are they throwing a lot of money behind this one? I bet they are. Yeah, I'd say so. It's mm. sort of bounced around a lot. It was going to be on Showtime and now it's shifted for, I think they had a big reason, but I think just to boost those Paramount Plus numbers. Yeah. Every streamer kind of needs its platform defining series and I think this will be it. And Max, do you think though I know this is this is based on a game, so it's gonna be all fighting, gun shooting, killing, you know, all that. Do you think there's gonna be characters that someone like me would like to follow and and root for and kind of like connect with? So that I'd say that's the beauty of picking something like Halo. Maybe I know with sort of Assassin's Creed or a lot of these other video game adaptations and even books, you're sort of hampered by the source material. You have to sort of cling to it. Otherwise the fan base sort of disregards it and yeah, pushes back. Whereas Halo, I know at least for a lot of the people that I'm friends with that play Halo, they're not really playing it for the story. They're playing it for, to like shoot their friends, (laughs) play online. So I think you've got the bones of that Master Chief character, 
can kind of do whatever you want, really. Right. And you can, I know he has like an, an AI, so that's probably going to be like a quippy, yeah, robot AI that he'll mm. be interacting with. And then, mm. yeah, there'll be other people within his team. They can kind of just write however they want. Mm, sounds good. I think what would make this one interesting and maybe bring me in would be if he falls in love with an alien, one of the enemies, you know, that would be awesome. Put a bit of that Romeo cool. and Juliet in there, <laughs> unrequited, you know, forbidden yeah. love. And I mean, <laughs> and hopefully. Well, you like- should, uh, you'd probably like Mass Effect if they were ever to do a Mass Effect, uh, Mass Effect TV show based on the, the game. There's a lot of uh, interspecies romance in that one there's nothing wrong with that that's (laughs) that's a different that's a different title (laughs) i should probably say i'm not the biggest halo fan or yeah i'm not an encyclopedic knowledge of halo yeah but i will say i can see it sort of being like this soldier who's been programmed by humanity to fight for humanity to destroy these aliens and Mm -hmm. then yeah like you said sort of the more that he destroys the more he begins to regret and yeah maybe does fall in love with an alien or Mm. realizes the errors of his ways yeah nice you're sitting here really nice now so (laughs) (laughs) that turn character turn yeah i think Let's see how he goes. The Halo universe is an amazing opportunity to be at that intersection where technology and myth-making meet to produce something really groundbreaking. And I'm incredibly excited about the great journey we're all on, the heroes, worlds, and wonders that Halo will take us on. The next one, this one's a bit of a cheat considering how well it's doing, but I think it's pretty hard to ignore based on, yeah, everything it's like the biggest show in the culture at the moment and that's uh squid game from netflix squid game i love squid game i finished watching that um last night or the night before wow i've lost my days and it's it wouldn't be something that's my cup of tea but it became my cup of tea for many many reasons but i wonder if this needs an introduction to max it's so yeah, big. maybe. Do you have a one-liner? I don't think. It seems like everybody's watched it by now, but yeah, if you haven't. It has been described as a dystopian drama. I think we've spoken about this before, but it's really more, it's like definitely just like an adventure drama kind of game showy thing. It's just, it is the, I was speaking to you, I think the other day when I, when I was saying that I, this cross, this is like a, a genre bender as well. Like, I don't know where we are here, like where we're set, what it's trying to do. All you see is like these poor guys off the street that have a lot of debts. They get collected by this organization to basically play children's games on some remote island and basically fight it out for what's the, what's the prize money, Max? Like 45 billion one or something yeah which i think is like 45 million us yeah which is a lot of money but to get to that money even though they play children's games they uh lose their lives so if you lose Mm. you're out (laughs) it's terminal (laughs) (laughs) so and we should probably say that we might bring up spoil because we've both seen it all the way through so there might be yeah spoilers yes good point discuss the whole season Yes, it is a surprise hit. It's come out of nowhere. Um, 
Uh, it's Korean as well. So the thing that I'm most excited about is that it's a foreign language drama that's basically hit the big time. It's, uh, it's like the number one Netflix program in over 90 countries. I think the, uh, I read the other day, it's got action. It has heart and, uh, it is pretty, we should warn people that it's not for the faint hearted. There's a lot of terrible, terrible scenes of carnage. Yeah. All those different genres. So you've got like thriller, mm. romance, eh, kind of romance, um, like, gore action mm. or like the murders and everything but sort of does it in a way where it's shocking to people that maybe aren't if you're not a viewer like a regular viewer of thrillers it seems pretty tense and like it, that i've heard a lot of people saying it made them quite anxious watching it whereas i would say i didn't find it super intense but if that's not really what you normally watch i think of course it's going to make you like you're going to be pretty tense and it sucks you in and gets those people that wouldn't normally watch a thriller. Mm. The same, and then the same with the gore. I found the gore a bit sort of pulpy and yeah, I was, yeah after I was saying campy. But if you've never watched that kind of thing before, it would be pretty confronting. Yeah, be a shock. And the I'm same as sort of Game of Thrones, I guess, like the Red Wedding. Yes. Which Game of Thrones sucks you in. You just think it's sort of a medieval show. And if you're on a really watching that kind of intense, um, yeah, like Tarantino kind of violence mm-hmm. all the time and you see that, then it sort of like, it blows your mind. Yeah. Which I think it's it does true. really well. Yeah. I think that the difference with, um, with I think a lot of the stuff that's out there with all this kind of carnage and uh, body counts and all that is that it's you ex- you expect it and it's like in ev- almost every single episode and you're just wondering how people are going to go and what's the next game that's going to take, you know, wipe out half the contestants. And um, even I, who I'm used to, like confronting content like this uh, there were some scenes that I, I was I couldn't believe <laughs> like I was watching heads with brains spilling out and I was like okay that's, yeah. a, that's a bit much um but in all of that I think you get used to it at some point you know that this is going to happen it's going to that's mm-hmm. what it is and you you get on with it and I think what helps in that is the characters. There are two or three characters there that you, again, want to root for. You hope they win and somehow survive. Um, the old man was my favourite <laughs> for most of that series. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the, the heart that you get out of those those people and the reason why they, they are like the origin, the origins and origin stories of them being gamblers and losing so much money and, you know, um, putting their families in peril. And so there's a lot of heart in that as well, which you kind of balances out the, the terrible carnage and the anxiety that it may cause for some people. But if you stick with it, it's a good series and there's a reward. And yeah, yeah highly recommended. And I it it kind of ticks all those boxes of what made Game of Thrones so good. Like obviously, like you were saying, the characters, you kind of fall in love with mm. each of everyone's character, basically. So you've got like Sung Gi Hun, the, yeah. the lead, and then the uh the North Korean girl, Kang Se Byuk, uh, who was amazing. Uh yeah, basically every character, you either love them or you hate them, but you feel something towards them. 
Exactly. You do. You're invested. I've, no I cried what. for some of them, Max. I actually shed a few tears for uh, yeah, mm. a few yeah spoilers uh, for a few of the characters. Can I also um, raise another thing? This morning I read an article about how some of um, the Korean population feel the uh, subtitles and dubbing um, didn't do the series justice. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think you're always going a bit like, you're always going to get the full effect of the show in the native language, right? It's just going to be too difficult. I saw someone, I think it was, might have been something you sent me, but basically saying from... Um, translators saying that that's kind of the best that they could do because there are some phrases and words that just can't be translated. Yeah. I'm sure there are moments where the tone and the the way it's said is like completely changes the meaning, but it's just really hard unless you are fluent in Korean. It's kind of the best that we can get. But I still enjoyed the series. I didn't know what they were, you know, with the translations that I got and um, it's up there. And obviously there will be a season two, right, Max? Yeah, I'm hoping. Yeah, well, they um, left it in a interesting, an interesting kind of like yeah, this sort of cliffhanger, cliffhanger, so to speak. And that's kind of where I'm heading in that, it, taking that sort of Game of Thrones belt in saying that it's like a super simple premise, but we're really invested to see the hero. It's like, yeah, it's like a simple hero's journey. And then we have all these different, like, there's still so many questions. And I think that's what makes that's what makes a show pop and what makes something so good. It's sort of that, even though no one's in the office, like a water cooler conversation. You can sort of be like for the front man, like what's the backstory to the front man? Is his brother the police officer still alive? Who's running the squid game now that the old man's died? Um, what's the deal with the terrible Americans? And their goofy, goofy accents and acting. You know, the fact that he's about to go and visit his child, he's made the decision, he's um, he's picked himself up, he's going to go visit his child in America, he's about to board the plane and then, you know, he gets back into it, back into the games, the squid game. So obviously he's going back for some reason, whether that's revenge or some kind of twisted, you know. Um, yeah, to take it all down. Yeah, so they have to continue this story and they have to bring the Squid Games down. Although maybe, D, it might be uh, knocked off its podium by our next show, which I know is pretty close to your heart. Very. Uh, it's recently been announced that it's going to be heading to Hulu. Yes, it's the Court of Thorns and Roses of the Spring Court. Um, I can talk a little bit about this one because um, I'm up to book three at the moment. I'm a bit um, late to the party. This was um, the book series was. Well, I don't know anything about it, so <laughs> yeah. I'm going to leave this one up to you. I'm really late to the party. Well, look, I know that you're sick and tired of me talking about this, so I will keep it short. But it's basically <laughs> um, a book series written by Sarah J. Mass. Um, and it's it basically looks it's like a fantasy series and it looks like a fairy realm that's divided from the human realm by an invisible wall and the wall is basically something that um is kept there because the humans and the fairies have fought for many centuries um in the past so they're trying to basically divide the two because they don't get along yeah i've read the first two two no three books now i'm obsessed 
there's something very much, you know, Lord of the Rings about it, Beauty and the Beast meets Buffy. It's just like one of those <laughs> awesome books you want to like pick up and just escape. It's awesome because you have an awesomely strong human heroine to start off with and um, and obviously they're like there's the romance so there's that. That's part of the whole thing that drives it. There's politics, fairy politics, and, and you know, you've got like um, like in, in Lord of the Rings you have like Sauron, like that evil kind of like oh, fairy or figure. wizard or whatever he was, you know, standing by to destroy. Hopefully if it's done well by 20th um, uh, television, that'll be awesome. It's going to be produced by um, Ron Moore, who's also behind um, the translation of Outlander onto the screen. And as you know. Yeah, so that's what I was, when you were describing that, and I kind of, I knew that, but I was thinking it does sound very, sounds up that guy's alley. Like it sounds very Outlander. This sort of, yeah, female character being split between two worlds, coming in, yeah bit of yeah not really knowing the new world and finding romance classic story it is classic but you know what um those that story never like uh, for most i think of the female viewers <laughs> that one would never die no, i think for everyone it yeah it never gets old it never gets old and because the characters are different each time um yeah you kind of like you kind of get into yeah, it yeah so is it sort of uh is it like a sweeping epic or would you say it's more grounded, like looking just mainly from that uh, female character's perspective? It's definitely, uh, it has the potential to become like an epic. It depends on how they treat it. But because like we discussed, it is from like the maker of, of um the producer of Outlander, I can see that this will become, this will focus on the main character whose name is Feyre. Yeah. Awesome. And Hulu have a pretty good track record of creating like Handmaid's Tale, big. Yes. Big worlds, successful TV shows based on established book series. Yes. So you never know. Could be I hope so. And good female stories, which we need more of, yes. Max. Yeah, you definitely. know, whether they're in fantasy or in reality, just to know <laughs> <laughs> good female stories. Oh my gosh. Speaking of this, Max, should we um, move on to Lord of the Rings? Yeah, number one. The number one. films the other day he's only eight years old um and even though I was completely engrossed and going yes I can do this again and you know I love this series he turned around to me and just went this is so boring mum and went back to his iPad which I found insulting um to be honest um but this is something that came out when I was like in my 20s I was super excited to watch it I was like super nerdy loved all that stuff um and yeah but i the more i read about it though max the more i realize it's a little bit far removed from our characters and so it's a prequel right like it goes before yeah the Lord of the Rings so movies it's set in the second age of middle earth which is apparently thousands of years before 
the events of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, which was set in the Third Age. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, they're saying it's going to follow an ensemble of characters as mm-hmm. they deal with a re-emergence of evil in Middle-earth, which wow. seems like classic Lord of the Rings. Yeah. There's always evil popping up. But uh, from what I've seen, the Second Age is kind of notable for when Sauron created the ring, the one ring. Yes. And the Second Age spans for like 3,500 years. So really, when they say wow. Second Age, it doesn't narrow things down very much. <laughs> Spot on. But they did release Amazon, who is making the series, which we probably should note has cost them $450 million. Yeah, that's insane. That's Plus an insane. $250 million just to get the rights. Wow. So when Jeff Bezos isn't going to space, he's <laughs> spending close to, what's that, a billion dollars on yeah. Lord of the Rings? Yeah, you would hope this would be, uh, yeah, there'll be a payoff here because it's a big investment. So that guy, Jeff Bezos, super nerd, really, when you think about it. Like if you asked a a nerd from 20 years ago or now, like if they had a billion dollars or more than a billion dollars, what they would spend it on, it would probably be like going to space Mm -hmm. and making their own Lord of the Rings show. (laughs) But she's done both. So can't fault him for that. Can fault him for a lot of uh, other things. Yeah, definitely. Which but, isn't for another podcast. But, uh, yeah, that's true. We shouldn't get into all that. <laughs> shouldn't praise him too much. We should focus on the fact that he's bringing it back and he's taking us to a different chapter, which I can appreciate. Like I, you definitely. know, I won't complain about it. You know, <laughs> everything else he does or, you know, the choices he makes, but this is cool. And I've, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if this is correct, but it's, um, they're getting five seasons guaranteed. Is that right? They've already oh, commissioned wow. five. And uh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, I read that. The only thing I, I thought, saw wow, that's was, a lot of confidence. I mean, you know. There's a guy, I, his name escapes me, but he's sort of in charge of the Lord of the Rings or the Tolkien estate. And he right. confirmed that there were 20 episodes for the first season. Wow. Which seems like a lot. That's a lot of episodes. I mean, I'm in already, but that's a lot of episodes. Was Unless they ones. split that in two. and Seems cool. There was a rumor going around that it would focus on a young Aragon. Yeah. Obviously. But hang on a second. Played by Viggo Mortensen. But how? Isn't he human? So he wouldn't be around? Yeah. So I think that was debunked, but they released the map. And in the map is sort of the town or the, I don't know what you call it, like the area where his ancestors came from right so there could be a way where yeah we're dealing with the ancestors of aragon that's cool the fairies could come back though couldn't they sorry the yeah the elves <laughs> could be still, some fairies still I'm in back the court, at of court, court of thorns and roses so people like um galadriel and legolas because they're they're elves they live for for thousands of years they could come back couldn't they yeah i think if we're ever if there was to be a cameo from anyone yeah i think it would be Someone elf related, maybe Lee Pace drops by, <laughs> baby. Hey, but, um, and- about that, Max. I read, and I don't know if this is confirmed, that there's an Australian actress in this called Michaela Kavanagh. Um, she was in Picnic at Hanging Rock um, a couple of oh, years awesome. back on Foxtel, and I had this theory that she could be like a younger version of Galadriel. Just saying, yeah, it was played by Kate cool. Blanchett in the movies. What do you reckon? That's good. Yeah, that's good snooping. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's I guess because I'm thinking that a lot of these elves would have been part of that world when uh, Sauron forged the rings because mm. weren't they all given a ring as well? You know, they had he gave yeah, all these so rings to like, different parts uh, of the realm. The rings of power. Yes. Yeah, I think that that's actually a really good call. I could see that happening. But yeah, I'm just ho- I'm really hoping it's sort of a simple classic Lord of the Rings journey. Like yeah. Frodo to Mount Doom to destroy the ring or Bilbo going to the Lonely Mountain to find the treasure. Mm. I think where the Hobbit, the last Hobbit movie sort of fell away from me is that it wasn't a journey. They sort of got to the one place and then it was just this big battle for the whole thing. Right. I think the beauty of Lord of the Rings is that sort of company of uh, like outlaws and heroes and yeah, yeah, an ensemble on a journey from point A to B and then everything that happens in between. Mm. So I'm hoping, I don't know what their inciting event would be or the place yeah, where they it, need to go. but Could it be someone that kind of knows that Sauron is um, making the rings and actually understands his motivations and knows that the one ring that kind of rules them all is dangerous and tries to stop him? But then we'd know what would happen to to that. Yeah, hero. that's true. And that's a th- like, yeah, like four thousand years of yeah. the second age. There's so much they could do. They could either go completely removed from everything we know, mm. or more fan servicey, like you said, and just it's about a group trying to yeah trying to get to Sauron before he creates the ring. Yeah. It's, Ooh. I guess, yeah, that's, uh, I don't envy them, the creators know, and the writers. Because it's a big one. You're tough. right, because absolutely, you're like, we know the the story, like we, we were given his history in the first um, movie, um, his story about how he forged everything. Maybe we go back into his origin story and see why he became evil and why he wanted to be like this, you know, wanted to dominate the world and do it this way. So maybe, you know. We're going to a Sauron that was kind and then was corrupted and went all crazy. <laughs> yeah, like a girl turned him down on a date or something. Yes. And then he turned, <laughs> into, <laughs> turned into an incel. It's a real Joker storyline. <laughs> yeah, Created exactly. the ring. You never know, Max. I could see it. You'd be like that. I could see it. I wanted to also mention that I read today that the Oscar-winning um, – composer for Lord of the Rings is coming, maybe coming back to this, to the TV series for Lord of the Rings. And can I just say every time I hear the Lord of the Rings theme music, I just get goosebumps. I can't, I get just, you know, yeah, so it's amazing. Back. And yeah. they've, that's the thing they've stacked it. I think they've got writers from Game of Thrones and a lot of other successful fantasy TV shows. They film, they filmed the first season in New Zealand. I think there was a bit of controversy because they've left to film in the UK. I don't know if it's the remainder of season one or future seasons in another country, Mm. but at least for the first bunch of episodes, they've really gone all out and seem to be sticking to what we all loved about Lord of the Rings in the first place. Yeah. If they do that, it's going to be a winner. When's that launching? September in 2022 or end of 2022? So then, yeah, sometime. Mm. Yeah, we'd have to like make the call of what's bigger, House of the Dragon or Lord of the Rings for 2022. You know, like uh, it'll be a yeah, yeah. and it 
it raises an interesting point, which is probably the last thing we can touch on, but mm. it's just what is successful now. And now that we're sort of, we've moved completely away from any form of ratings. Yeah. Netflix with their sort of two minutes counts as a, a view <laughs> or whatever the hell that is. But yeah. I think in terms of ranking success, I, you might disagree, D, but in my mind, it's sort of when you look at Squid Game, if you go on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, every second video is about Squid Game. If you go on to Facebook or if you're looking like the meme ability of the show, there's memes of Squid Game. It's all just, it's sort of very much in the consciousness. Yeah. And I remember I hadn't watched Game of Thrones. I think maybe season one or two, maybe even season three had come out and I hadn't started it when it first came out. I was like, oh, is this going to be like two? It's like another Lord of the, it's like a Lord of the Rings ripoff or something. Yeah. And then I just sort of saw like there was a meme of someone that had put a poster up, like a missing sign for uh, Daenerys' dragons. Yeah. Saying like, have you seen my dragons? Yeah, Take a number if you that. have. And I was like, oh. And that just sort of kept coming up on my feed. There's other Game of Thrones memes and it just sort of it drew me in a little bit. Mm. I think that is sort of a, that's a good litmus test of what, yeah, of how successful a show is. If so you're seeing you're saying- it talked about on the news and on word of mouth and memes, social media, then I think it's a it's a hit. It's a great point. I don't disagree. I think that, yeah, that's, and that's how people find out about all the big stuff now, you know, the memes that when you check out YouTube and, you know, the House of the Dragon is 45 million hits, you know, the teaser, mm. you know that that's something big um, and you, something you shouldn't miss. But I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's kind of sticks to the old traditional way of measuring things to actually go, like, how would you measure that? You know, House of the Dragon got 45 million hits. You've got like 3,000 memes out there. Like how how do you quantify that in the it's tradition? It's definitely of- not a – you can't monetize it Yeah. in a way like I'm sure the big – the Netflix execs and marketing execs probably can, mm. but it's not something you could release to the public. But I think in the back of everyone's mind, everyone knows this is a hit, whereas something like Foundation – yeah. I don't think I've, I haven't seen much discourse about it online really. Mm. So if you're sort of, if you're comparing which is the bigger hit, Squid Game, the foundation, mm. then I think that obviously we've had all that. Netflix have been sort of tooting their own horn, but I think you say simply Squid Game is better. If I didn't know any of that and I just sort of had to base it on my own discussions I've had with friends and social media and all that kind of stuff, I think I would say Squid Game is the more successful show. Definitely. I mean, just on what you just said, but also, Max, it's it's also the fact that Netflix has a lot of subscribers, right? Like it's got mm, the other true. thing is there's so many more people that are subscribing to Netflix than than Apple. So yeah, that's the I other mean. thing. What's the ratio there of viewers, you know, checking out Foundation on Apple and then the number of Netflix viewers watching Squid Game, even though it's just two minutes of it. Yeah. That's that's the thing though. It's Netflix has a bigger overarching, like a big reach over um the global um the other global streamers. So that I think that's what that's a problem. Because then yeah. 
I understand where you're going. You're, you're a new age kid. You're looking at all the <laughs> memes and that kind of like, um, I can't put my finger on the word that I'm trying to think of now. Um, yeah, like that, the, the, I can't think of it, Max. I really can't. But it's basically you find a different way to measure something, the success of something to what my generation's used to. And yeah. there and needs I, to be a middle ground of how we do that. And, you know, looking definitely. at Netflix has so many subscribers internationally. Apple has so many subscribers and having a number that we can look at mm. to that's fair to compare one series to the other. And it'll um, keep um, it'll keep evolving, I'm sure. Yeah, but it, it will be really interesting once House of the Dragon comes out mm. to sort of compare that back to the discourse that was going on around Squid Game. At basically, we're at the peak of it, if not slightly coming down. Yeah, just to see, like I think they were talking about it on like the Today Show or something. Mm. Like if we look jump forward to maybe to 2022 and see what's happening around House of the Dragon. I'm sure it'll come out and HBO Max will say it's the most watched HBO Max show on, like uh, most watched show on HBO Max in the platform's history, all that kind of stuff, which is fine, but there's no sort of way to compare that to Netflix's ratings. Exactly. I think it's, we almost have to just, it's like a gut feeling almost. Which isn't, just, which isn't very scientific. No, it's not. You're just saying go with the popularity. Just go with the what's creating mm. buzz and, yeah. Yeah, it's, I think we're, yeah, it seems to be leaning more towards that. we just got to gotta lean towards the buzz. Mm. I think that's a pretty good first episode back. Yeah. Crown the new Game of Thrones successor. And speaking of successor, we're going to be reviewing the new season of Succession, which officially kicks off next Monday. And hopefully we'll have uh, a re- ongoing recap episodes dropping every Monday straight after the episode has launched. Yes, and Max, we should mention that um, that will be available on Foxtel and Binge. Yes. Um, and I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that to start either. And I'm not going to start discussing it now, <laughs> even though I watch press screeners. Um, yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, so you have to wait till next week. I don't know if we can say anything legally. We can't, we can't legally say anything. We can't. <laughs> I can definitely say it's succession. <laughs> cool. Succession is back in a big way. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch Thank you next you. week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.